0: Melisandre moves into one of her favourite topics, which is bigging up Stannis, calling him like "bringer of light," and here, and he's just standing there. And it, whenever this happens, you just feel so awkward for Stannis because he hates, he obviously hates this part of it, doesn't it?
1: He? He's in this position where he's like, "Yes, I am the king, and I will bring back the light to the freezing winter, possibly."
0: <laughs> yeah. So the next chapter is about reek.
1: Hey, or. Who the fuck? Hang on, where's Wikipedia? Let me go and read back. Who is this supposed to be?
0: Hello there. Welcome to Shark Liver Oil. It's our Game of Thrones coverage once again, and we're back with a dance with dragons for part three. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. How are you feeling, Dave?
1: Feeling fantastic, Matthew. Ready feeling for re- it. Ready, ready to get up. Got my dancing shoes on. Dragons are on the other side of the dance floor. They're looking a bit shy, but I reckon I can get them to dance.
0: Yeah. So Someone else will be hot footing it around his cage. His man's raider. Let's uh, <laughs> let, let's get stuck in. So so this a
1: magnificent segue. <laughs> can I say that glorious yeah. hot footing it and everything? Yeah. You sick bastard.
0: Thank you. So this th- this week we're reading from um, a chapter about John, which begins. Uh, they brought forth the king beyond the wall, uh, and let me tell you now. It ain't going to end well. Yeah. And uh, we're reading as far as a chapter about Daenerys, which begins The dancers shimmered. The dancers shimmered. So that's as far as we're going. Uh, so oh, we may as well get straight into it then. So let's uh, have a look at this ch- first chapter. So it's John. And uh, basically, uh, as we just alluded to, the bringing forth Mance Raider, who was uh, captured in this uh, failed assault on the wall. In the last, well, not the last book, the book before, wasn't it? it was Storm of Swords. Yeah. Um, John is, It turns out has been trying to save Mance's life, saying it's more useful to you to you alive than dead to Stannis. Yeah. Uh, but Stannis won't hear it. You, of you, you know him, and you know who yeah. Melisandre is when it, when she gets to talking about kings, blood, and stuff.
1: Yeah, but she get, she just loves killing kings, doesn't she? Do you get the sense that this yeah. is actually what she's after? That there's no, no religious or spiritual element to it whatsoever. She's just like, I just love it. I love the sound they make. Love I love killing the sound kings. that vermin makes when it, when it, it, it catches fire. Vermin. <laughs> Ermine. Sorry. <laughs> I love she's the sound heck. that rats make when they catch fire. No. <laughs> Ermine. Badger skin or whatever that is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she's kind of like the medieval English, isn't she? She just cannot get enough of killing a king. <laughs> 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 I just love the sound they make. <laughs> As you know, that was like the reputation of the English in the Middle Ages, like really? across Europe. It was like, oh yeah, you, you're the crazy guys who just kill your kings all the time. You're the
1: bastards who were always killing your kings. <laughs> it's hard to argue against that, as well, isn't it? Actually, yeah. there was a lot of king killing went on, which, yeah. which I suppose would be why they were such a big uh, influence on, on a Game of Thrones, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would have thought so. So um, they've built this. Speaking of killing kings, they've built this wooden cage of uh, of weirwood. Uh, and they're sort of hanging it over this fire pit. They they burn this horn. Do you Remember the the horn of Jorman? which was uh, it was oh, said yeah. that if, if if anyone blew it, it would sort of bring the wall down. Well, it yeah. turns out Mans had found that and was thinking about blowing it, and then decided not to. And now they're now they're burning <laughs> it to make sure no one else can toy with the idea of that. It You'd love that, wouldn't solution. you? Like
1: it's it's it, it's the equivalent of the sort of like a sort of supernatural version of. Um, do you know that Father Ted episode where they're in the, the cockpit of a plane and there's a yeah. big button that says "Don't press this button," and it's just like zooms in on on Dougal's <laughs> face, just looking at it, just so tempted to press it anyway. It's 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 that, <laughs> but even worse because behind it lies all the pent up evil of the of the eldritch world. <laughs> yeah. You just imagine somebody going through and going, will I blow it." I think I'm, I'm gonna blow it. Yeah. yeah, I like a good trumpet sound. Yeah, I'll do it. Go on, do it. No, you do it. Well, you know, you do it. No, I'll do it. No, you do it. Okay, I'll do it.
0: Yeah, it's like having Pandora's box just there, isn't it? It's, so they're it's, trying it's to remove Pandora's- temptation.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Pandora's box, but 700 foot tall and made out of ice.
0: Yeah, Pan- Pandora's horn. Is, uh- <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> why did we do it like that? Move on. This one's okay. closed. No, um, as as a. Uh- as they're getting ready to sort of they burn the horn of Jorman, they're getting ready to burn um raider And as part of this whole sort of uh like presentation to everybody and this whole event, Melisandra's talking about how, you know, evils beyond the wall and all this, you know, the horn has gotta get rid of get rid of it and all this. And then she obviously moves into one of her favourite topics, which is bigging up Stannis, calling him like, you know, the bringer of light and the here and he's just standing there. And it whenever this happens, you just feel so awkward for Stannis because he hates, <laughs> he obviously hates this part of it, doesn't it? He? he just hates yeah. the attention. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's but- um And but the thing is that where previously in this series I've had a certain amount of sympathy for Stannis. A certain amount. Not all the sympathy in the world, but a bit. A little bit, yeah. A um, little bit of you know. At least he's at least he's trying to be a decent man. Here I'm just like yeah, stew in your own awkward fucking juices, you wanker. <laughs> I just I just like he's just like with the way he's treated John and the kind of hypocrisy he's shown in dealing with somebody like Mance, where he's yeah. like, you know, he's the sort of bloke where he's like, if only I act as though rules are the only thing that matter, everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, and that's just clearly not true. It's a very morally ambiguous world. And he's just, you know, he's he's acted like a dickhead as a result of his inability to get his head around that. So here I'm watching him going, yeah, squirm, you wanker.
0: <laughs> yeah. I really just see it as where Sandra's going through, bring her of light and the king of everything. And he's just so on the side just thinking, oh, this again. Just <laughs> <she's> doing it <laughs> again. I can't shut her up. Um, but, yeah, so there's that. Mance is um taken into this cage uh and he has this horrendous slow agonizing death it's um, i think the the description of this here is particularly good is the point where he sort of is he's jumping from one side of the cage to the other described as a like a moth caught in a flame sort of and i suppose oh, i imagine horrible, isn't it? yeah in a way that's even worse than being sort of tied to a stake because you can kind of you briefly jumping away I don't know it just, it's almost like you can save yourself but you can't because wherever you jump to obviously it's still burning yeah um,
1: oh yeah it's really horrible this whole scene was like and I don't know about you but did you did you feel like this the the portrayal of Mance raider wasn't as good here as it was in the TV series because to me he's he's I mean he's being played He's being played by Kieran Hines, putting on a faultless Northern English accent, mm. and for that reason, he's ultimately badass in the TV series. And and but whereas in this, you get like you get a single two line, single sentence of him being a badass, and then six pages of him going, "No, please, no, don't, no, ah, flames, oh, it's bad."
0: Yeah, he says what anything to sort sort of try and get out of it, doesn't he? He's even denying who he is, sort of saying he isn't the king. You know, uh, yeah, you know, you got. Uh, yeah, he, he sort of. You're right. It he, he sort of he, he just he, he starts off. He, he well, has a very short period of being defined over it, and then I suppose it's kind of human. You see this thing, this this fate awaiting you, and suddenly you, you know, you, you change your mind and think, shit, this is really <laughs> happening. It's kind of. As a, I tell you what, it's similar to Janus Slint, What happened to him, isn't it? Yeah, Janice held on longer. I suppose
1: that's a very interesting little kind of little rhyme isn't it between Janos Slint and um, and you know and maybe maybe that's what he's going for mm. um, because they're both men who have failed their commitment to the Night's Watch in a sense aren't they mm. um, whereas in the TV series like Mance Raiders is a much more interesting nuanced character in this you do get the sense that just the point of it is you know he, he deserted and that's it and all of the kind of badassness mm. um, kind of leaves
0: yeah you know. I got a lot more depth from Manser earlier on. I think it's it's very much just this like his death is um is so uh like almost out of character and um compared to what's gone before that he sort of he, he tries to renounce everything straight away. Um so yeah, y you're right, there's something a bit jarring about this whole this whole episode of of how he dies, isn't there?
1: Uh, I mean, and maybe this is one of the many sort of consequences. I thought this at several points actually during this chunk of the book where maybe this is one of the several con- the consequences of, um, of it. Uh, he's kind of spent six years trying to work out what this story is supposed to look like. Mm. And so to a certain extent, it's been, since he hasn't written any beyond the wall stuff in A Dance with Dragons and, uh, sorry, in A Feast for Crows, which itself came, what, five years after A Storm of Swords? Yeah. So it's been 11 years, really, since he had to address this character. And it's a yeah. good chance he's just forgotten that he was supposed <laughs> to be a far more interesting character. And he got to him and he was like, right, got to bump him off. The whole point of this is Jon Snow. I know who Jon Snow is. Who's Mance Raider? Fuck it. So that, Do you know what I mean?
0: Set so the axe to him. Could be. Or it could be he's playing a longer game. And there's, you know, maybe be a reason for him doing that. Um, for <laughs> changing the character. We'll find out. Um, I hope so. The next... Uh, obviously the next sort of stage of this after they they burn the king beyond the wall is uh they say to the the other wildlings it was sannis basically says you can come through the wall and we'll settle you in the gift um and you get the protection but obviously you have to kneel in front of me and obey my rules Ooh, or, all sorts
1: of dramatic that isn't it for the for yeah, the wildlings
0: yeah or you know he, he does give them the option to be fair to him. He says you can go, you, you can choose not to and go back. You can go back north, um, and if you do tell, you know tell the people what you've seen today, and that if you if people, anyone who wants to come south of the wall can do now, but I won't ha- I won't break another attack on on the wall, or on, on my wall as he calls it, and um, people who do decide to come south, he sort of. They do a bit of what's a sort of a semi-forced conversion. You've got to burn a bit of a weirwood tree um, to show that you're, you know, you're taking the red god on as well. Ooh, so it's geez. a, it's, it's quite a package of uh, demands, isn't it? If you it want is to live south of the wall.
1: And so this is the thing about Stannis is that he, he, and I think this is my objection to him actually, is that he <laughs> he fails to appropriately respect the separation between church and state. <laughs> um, in that. <laughs> What he's doing here is saying, I'm the rightful king according to the laws of this country, so you need to bow to me, right? Which is culturally insensitive, but clearly no, nobody's, nobody's a well-meaning lefty in this situation, so fine. Yeah. Um, but then he also says, also, something, 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 I am the Messiah, so fuck all your gods as well. Hmm. And I think, I think there's, there's a moral argument for one, but not the other. Mm. Um, i mean from my perspective which is a you know a christian but uh is much more kind of politically left kind of approach obviously presumably within the tenets of the the uh the religion of the red god this is completely acceptable and uh, you know temporal authority proceeds precisely and entirely from the burning of your idols mm. um but <laughs> it's a James. little bit like it's it feels unnecessarily undiplomatic to me if he's looking to if he's looking to get these people to be part of his first line of defense against these marauding wankers mm. to you know m- make them give up their religious identity is a bit rich
0: yeah i suppose though when you're when you're this sort of deeply involved in the uh, melisandra red god stuff battle between good and evil there's not much diplomatic about it. I'm trying to be very pluralist
1: and, and he's he's being all like no there's no such thing as pluralism. All there is is horrifying cookie monster, frozen ice zombies, or me, choose
0: I suppose that the, the yeah. funny thing is about Stannis is he isn't the fanatic that Melisandre and sort of the que and especially the queen, um, his you know, his wife is. Um he's he's always been almost this sort of reluctant convert, hasn't he where? He sort of He's kind of like the skeptic who sees a load of evidence, sort of, to suggest that that, you know, it's kind of like a skeptic who sees a few miracles happen. It's like, right, well, I'm going to have to believe this then. You know know what I mean? He's not happy about it. He hasn't had
1: that kind of like. He hasn't been so much a conversion as it's been a grudging accept. Like um, like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis described his conversion to theism to from atheism to believing that there was a god. Yeah. Before he became a Christian, um, as being like he described himself as the most miserable convert in the whole world, he was yeah. like, "All right, I suppose I have to go along with this if I must
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> um, it-
1: but it 's interesting isn 't it like and I actually think that 's an interesting like little angle that i hadn 't thought of before like wouldn 't it be great if you 're actually in Stannis' head and you were you know you the, you get the chance as an author to portray somebody who 's not just kind of had a religious conversion um Kind of under under sufferance, but you know what I mean. Like, has been convinced despite himself. Mm. But it's you're the Messiah despite yourself. Like, mm. that's that's completely amazing to me. That he's in this position where he's like, "Yes, I am the King, and I will bring back the light to the freezing winter." Possibly, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so certain. I'm on board with all of this stuff, <laughs> but yeah, I am that's he. Very,
0: that's very much status, nice, isn't it? There, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, after all this finishes, uh, John gets back down to, oh, we didn't talk about the manner of Mance's final death, the fact that they they shoot him. And I'm not even even sure that that is sort of, was part of the plan as far as Stannis was concerned, because he sort of looks over a little bit, sort of, what did you do that for? But yeah, Yeah. John gets a few of his black brothers to to kill Mance and sort of end his suffering before the end.
1: I love I love that he did that. Because that's that's kind of a way of saying, all right, you're being, you know, to Stannis almost, you know, you're being incredibly intransigent here. You're not at all respecting the vow that I've made. You're not at all respecting uh, my responsibility here and you claim to be the king. And you know what? I haven't got a choice. We haven't got the sort of solding. I'm not about to fight you. You've saved our lives. But I'm fucked if I'm going to let you be openly malicious towards this man that I respect. And it is a great little scene. It's a way of Jon Snow... Giving it a little fuck you, but completely in line with quite humanitarian principles. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Uh, the, the there's this discussion with Bowen Marsh, uh, where they're talking. Bowen Marsh is the uh, st- head steward who he got involved in a real um, sort of bloody fight with the weeper um, a, a while back, and he's sort of it, I think it's affected him quite heavily, and he he's very much urging John to, to seal up these entrances now, leave the wildlings north of the wall, seal the entrances and make sure no one can go no one can go ranging for the Night's Watch but you don't want to anyway because it's too dangerous now, let's just yeah. wait at the top of the wall. But yeah. John John's very loath to do that. It's been a, it's been a uh, discussion that's been happening, an argument that's been happening for since before the wildling attack, isn't it? And yeah. it's hard not to, it's hard to sort of to argue against the logic of it really isn't it? Because there's not a lot to be gained from just sending the odd search party out now because they almost always all get killed <laughs> This yeah, is what I always think be... about the r- Rangers, when it gets to this stage, the Rangers are your best fighters and it, it does seem, oh, yeah you do need scouts to see what's going on but at the same time, if they keep getting killed, it does seem madness to keep sending your best fighters out with knowing full well they're probably not going to come back
1: yeah yeah, 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 and and it must be yeah, it must be galling as well. You know, mm. it must be this really like humiliating experience because, in a sense, the way the reason that the Nights Watch has the cohesion that it has is that it's it is populated by you know a you know people on a various kind of street uh, spectrum of how much of a bastard are you? But nobody's mm. there because they want to be right. It's always it is a kind of prison, um, but, um it's it's a prison where you get to believe you're still a badass mm. and when you take away that the ability to believe that there really can't be anything left other than shame you know yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, and that's and obviously that's that's really bad because that's gonna that's gonna lead to all sorts of you know shameful sorts of things mm.
0: yeah 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 it's uh it, it's 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 a tricky it's a tricky one to sort of to, to, to know what what's best here the, yeah. there's a There's another bit here as well. Towards the end of this chapter, John goes down to sort of the the canteen, if you like, and a lot of his old friends are sitting on this table, Um, you know, Gren and Pip and a few of the others. And they all say, oh, come and and eat with us. And he says, oh, no, uh, maybe some other time. And he's very much deciding that he needs to sort of put a barrier up between himself and his old friends now, now that he's the commander. And um, this ends actually with um Stannis, with sorry, with John sending his closest friends away to either Eastwatch or um what's the other one? Uh, the Nightfort. Yeah. What did you make of this?
1: Well I think he thinks what he's doing is killing the boy um like like Amon told him to last time, eh? Um Yeah. Whereas I, I don't think this is necessarily what's meant I think, you know, you as you grow up people who've been your friends for all of that time and both remind you of where you're from and affirm where you are are incredibly valuable mm. um, and I, I think he's mistaking you know, complete social withdrawal for ceasing to be a boy and I don't think that's the way it works mm. or certainly not the way it should work
0: um, so um
1: I think I think this is a misstep on his part.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree and I think it's um yeah, because when you see especially the reason it's I it feels like a misstep to me is because and it felt like this the first time I read it, because his his position isn't secure at the moment and what you see, you know, successful mutineers or dictators or whatever, um what they do when they suddenly come into power surprisingly and uh, uh, sort of very unpopular is they surround themselves with the most loyal and closest people and they drop them into positions of authority so they know yeah, that everyone yeah, yeah, around them much. is people yeah. they can trust and John's kind of doing the opposite here he's sending or he's, he's leaving the people who aren't, don't really like him so much nearby and sending his loyal people away it seems and um, but uh, I, as much as I disagreed with that, this is what's one of those, it's, this is when I, I really enjoy this book. I completely understand why John does it because of who he is. Because he's always thinking, when he's just making these, this decision, he thinks about sort of advice he got from his dad, from Ned. With about how to, he, he, Ned says, you know, he, uh, he remembers Ned saying to him, "You, you know, you can't get too close with yeah, with yeah. these men because you'll eventually have to sit in judgment over them or send them to die." And again, you can see why Ned would have that view and give that advice, but you got to consider the way he came to power. So, you know, if you look, if you think back to how Ned became sort of warden of the north and lord of winterfell his dad and his brother had just been murdered by the king so he was sort of elevated into this position when all his lords were sort of four square behind him ready to go and kick some targaryen ass um so he sort of he didn't have to worry about loyalty at all he was his position was completely secure so he was thinking about you know it was a completely different situation that he was dealing with, whereas John's completely the opposite here. He's become the commander and he can't trust people around him at the moment. There's so much opposition to him. He only just won this vote. So they're operating, him and Ned are operating in two very different political systems there and that's why... you know, yeah. the advice from his dad maybe isn't the best advice to follow. But yeah, I very know any much. Better.
1: Because, yeah, exactly, like Ned Stark. And for all that, you know, the Starks are remembered, you know, almost with universal fondness, except from people who were scared of them. Hmm. Um, you know, there's supposed to be a Stark in Winterfell, and the Starks have been kings in the north for thousands of years. And what that means is that... Um, what that means is that you... You know, it was much easier for them. All you got to do is turn up, be called Stark, and be the oldest son, and then not fuck it up. Yeah. Whereas Jon Snow has no legitimacy, literally, I mean, obviously, no legitimacy, um, either by birth or by appointment, to, like, mm. at least two-thirds, well, just 49.9% of the people that he's supposed to be commanding. It's a yeah. completely different task. You know, it is It is one for diplomacy, where having friends count. Um Yeah. That said, though, I do I think there is something to be said for showing that he's... I mean, clearly nobody in the book's actually going to have this level of political kind of analysis. <laughs> but look at it. But as you say, the, a sure sign of a dictator is somebody who stuffs all the powerful places with people who aren't going to argue with him and people who are his mates. Mm. Whereas the sign of a well-functioning government is p- talented people who may not necessarily agree with you in those roles. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, pick a tenuously elected leader from around the world today and then compare him to, you know, Abraham Lincoln for example. Um <laughs> so if if anybody, you know, was actually had their head screwed on, this would be a sign of John's legitimacy. He's like I don't need my mates. I'm not scared. I'm going to run this. Mm. Um but clearly nobody's going to respond that way. They're just going to be like, "Aha, all of the people who might have defended you for who you are as a person are far away."
0: Yeah. You know? It it feels to me like the difference between sort of Winterfell politics and King's Landing politics, and yeah, you, you, you saw the, you saw how Ned struggled when he moved to King's Landing and tried to take his way of doing things down there and operate there, and I think the problem John's got here, good as it is, this idea to sort of try and um, be almost a bit more democratic in the way you're running things, um, the problem John's got is that at the moment the the wall in castle black is much more like king's landing than like winterfell
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah so absolutely it's, it's very yeah so it's, it's it's it I I was a very I was worried when he wouldn't even sit down to eat with his friends and then when yeah. he starts sending them away I was thinking oh this isn't oh, john, <laughs> this isn't great that's,
1: <laughs> this uh, poor life choices john so yeah. it's <laughs> The the poor life choices gene has taken a while to flower in John, whereas in Sansa it's been clear from moment fucking zero. But still, but still, poor life yeah. choices there will be.
0: The only other thing I want to say about this chapter is about Stannis's uh, Lightbringer. He's a magical sword, oh, which it's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, it looked a lot more impressive, didn't it, when he um, when he. Sort of revealed it at the uh, burning of Mance Raider but again we have this concern from John where he's talking to Maester Clydes, who's the sort of last Maester standing. I don't think he is a Maester actually; I think he's like a—he's the most academic guy they've got there now. And um yeah, and he says again, it—it it was, it was really bright, but it didn't—it wasn't hot, and the yeah. sort of legendary stories of this Azor high guy, his. Uh, his flaming sword was also always really hot and he thinks this is it's again this suggestion that maybe stannis isn't quite the the savior that he's being made out to be we'll see
1: yeah yeah I, I, mm, i agree with that but let's see how it let's see how it plays
0: yeah. Um, the next uh, chapter is Daenerys. Um, Daenerys is, is awakened in, in the middle of the night. This is never good news, is it? Especially in sort of this world. If you get waking up in the middle of the night, something's gone wrong. Um, and this is the case again. There've been nine more murders in her city overnight, six of them unsullied, including Missendi's brother, her little scribe's uh, brother. <sighs>
1: yeah, that's mm. sad, isn't it? Although I couldn't yeah. work out if I had, you know, a slightly a more pronounced emotional connection to Missende because I've watched the TV series where she's quite a prominent character. Yeah. You know, or whether it was because it was well written in the books. This is one of the places where I think the book... Another place, actually, where I think the book the book does benefit from the TV series having, having done its thing and kind of created sympathy.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, you really get this impression here when she finds out this and she's trying to work out how it's happened that they, she's really fighting shadows here. Basically, all these people have been murdered and then whenever anybody asks what happened, everyone sort of shrugs their shoulders. Oh, I don't know. No, I, well,
1: it wasn't me. I don't know. Do I, I, no know thing? Oh. Yeah.
0: It centres on this uh, this wine salesman because two of the Unsullied were poisoned and the guy selling the wine, this little sort of shopkeeper... Says he, he, you know, he knew nothing about it. His pleading ignorance, um, which may well be true, uh, yeah. and, Daener- and but Daenerys agrees to effectively have that guy's daughter's tortured in front of him, so he reveals all he knows. And again, it's like every step, you're thinking, well that. That's gonna make things worse. But I suppose you need to find <laughs> out the truth though. So yeah. She's here. Yeah. again, whenever we come back to Daenerys at the moment, you feel she's just flailing but in an absolutely impossible position.
1: Absolutely. Well and it's what's interesting about it is that what George has done is construct a sort of modern, you know, kind of post Vietnam insurgency warfare situation mm. and then drop like Genghis Khan in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, and and so it's just it's two completely different approaches to the practice of authority and and power and so on. Um, and I'm not surprised it's not working out for her.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's she's starting to um, move towards the sort of shave paint way of doing things as well. A, you see the sort of with that yeah. agreeing to do that kind of torture thing there. She's she's going to withdraw her unsullied now and create a new city watch. Pay for them by massively taxing the sort of noble families about 100 gold per pyramid i think sure. and um and also taking two two hostages from each noble family like like wards in in Westeros yeah um,
1: yeah cuz that's that's what was needed in these in these other cities was importing more of the highly functional political norms of Westeros <laughs> elsewhere Do yeah you know what i mean
0: yeah, but you you really see. I mean, she makes these decisions, and she is she's decisive, and says, "This is how we're doing things. Don't question yeah. me." And then yeah. she sort of retires to her rooms, and she's sitting with Missendy, who's obviously mourning the loss of her brother, and she she sort of says, quite honestly, "I I don't know what to do here. <laughs> just, I don't know what I'm doing." You know, and I I thought I thought that was um that was quite a, a nice insight into just the struggle that Daenerys has got at the moment. She's still yeah. just a teenager, and she she. She admits she doesn't know what to do, but she's got to appear like she knows what she's doing at all Absolutely. times.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and and um, and I love that. Like, I do love these sort of moments of honesty from characters who otherwise spend their entire time dissembling. You know, mm. yeah, um, yeah. So I, I I really like it. I I, I like this kind of like what, what the fuck do I do? There's something quite refreshing about that level of. You know, yeah,
0: yeah. So Daenerys can't sleep. She goes for a walk in the middle of the night, round her garden, goes for a little bath, actually. And you know, you know, when you're you're struggling, all is dark. You can't work out what's happening next. The book is on a knife edge. What we need now is the return of a much loved character. So say hello to Quaith.
1: <laughs> now I will confess completely forgot this it completely <laughs> fell out of my brain I had to once again I had to break my rule and go to Wikipedia but once again only did it for a book I've already read right? um, and went and looked and I still can't fucking who, who's Quaith why do I care is she real is it mental
0: yeah um, for those who don't remember one That's of the fucking most Fucking everybody. Forget- yeah. Don't
1: don't give me that for those who didn't do their homework properly, nonsense. Yeah. There's not a single reader of these books unless they unless they're rereading the whole series in sequence without six year gaps. Who yeah. understands who Quaithe is right now?
0: Yeah. Well as I was saying, um for those Sorry. who don't remember, one of the most forgettable and least liked <laughs> characters in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Quaith was this I think she's popped up about twice before. Um, she she basically appears out of nowhere. We're not even sure if she's real. Comes out with all these riddles, um, sort of. It's sort of predictions, but in the past, to be honest, these are, to be fair to to Quaithe this time, um, these predictions and prophecies are a little bit more fathomable this time. But in the past, they've kind of felt like almost like some kind of some kind of fake psychic, you know. Yeah, cold reading sort of. Do you know, say yeah. I, I always felt like she said she says things to her, like you know, oh, you're um, I can tell you know you're a very uh, you you're a very sort of private person. You don't let, let many people get too close, but when you do let people get get close, then obviously you open up quite a lot to them. You know, and it's like yeah. well, yeah, and that yeah, applies just, to just everybody. That's <laughs> what, yeah, that's
1: that's what human <laughs> beings are like. I I, I notice as well that you uh you 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 often. Uh, walk, don't you, on on two <laughs> legs? Um, very you cre- often, you often, sometimes just feel a little bit out of sorts for for no, for no apparent reason.
0: Yeah, you're a very creative person, aren't you? Who hears yeah. that? thinks no, I'm not. It, I'm not creative. This Derek Accora bollocks, honestly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Quaithe is, um, if if we didn't know better, we would say she's a charlatan. But uh, apparently <laughs> she's not.
1: But apparently it's okay to be a charlatan in Westeros.
0: Yeah, I was, I was. The last time I saw Quaithe, I couldn't be bothered and this as soon as the name came up I just gritted my teeth and got through it. But yeah, so she's coming out with these provinces this time. Some of them, like I say, are a bit more farther than above. She's talking about, you know, the uh, the kraken and the sun and the lion coming to you know, coming yeah. towards you, which obviously are references to the various suitors or just general people who are on the way to to, to try and find Daenerys and meet her. Yeah. Yeah which
1: is we, Okay so You know fair enough um, uh, And it also It kind of raises the, Raises the thing to me Is that you, The the Charlatans With the, the Exactly the right Level of respect um, That actually In the real world Right hmm. um, Are Like They're doing it for money You know you get everybody together In one place And you talk bullshit And they pay you 15 pound a pop And hmm. then there, everybody goes away again, but this is not, she's travelled across the world in order to pull off this frustratingly oblique bullshit, like, what's the fucking point of that, would you not, if you'd have done some magical something to turn up in her garden at four in the morning to tell her some shit, sit down and go, <laughs> I've got some stuff I need to tell you, I've travelled quite a long way to tell it to you, so I'm going to tell you plainly and in words of one syllable. Yeah. Not turning up and being like, I prepared some interpretive dance, which it's very important that you look at. <laughs> are intrigued by, but don't essentially understand. Before I disappear.
0: Yeah, I like how Daenerys says, "I'm half sick of riddling," and I thought, "Well, you're halfway towards where I am." Because <laughs> I...
1: <laughs> zing. Uh,
0: but I'm glad someone said it in um, to, to Quaithe. Quaithe sort of ends by saying, "Remember who you are." And I was thinking, yeah, you're a very creative person. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you are, broadly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she gets a bit of a, again, a bit of a warning stroke prophecy. Again, beware the, one of the things to say is beware the perfume Seneschal, which, uh, is sort of this what this all goes it's back to? These vocabulary
1: three... test for anybody you can come up with what the meaning of the word seneschal is. <laughs> yeah. I like to say this, by the way. I'm a writer, and I had to think for a few seconds before <laughs> I thought about it. So that's just that's that's being a little bit of a vocabulary tease, isn't it, George? <laughs> hey, here's the plot. If only you've got a copy of fucking like, the Oxford English Dictionary's
0: hand. That that's the great thing about Quaithe though. You're learning and you're having fun. <laughs> <either>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wonder if you put that to Quaid, she'd be like, "Well, I'm only telling you what the spirits are telling me. Also, it's for your own good. You're fucking ignoramus."
0: Yeah, but she, she talks a lot about this. These three betrayals that Daenerys will have to go through, and she's already had two in um, in obviously what happened to Carl Drogo through. Who is the name? What was the name of that mad red blood magic witch woman?
1: The uh, oh, balls! Do, what apart from Melisandre?
0: Okay. Yeah, no, the the one sort of who said she'll bring Drogo back to life and then did, but he was oh, a vegetable. Oh,
1: um, um, is it Miri Mazdur?
0: That's is the it, one. Is... Yeah, yeah. So look she look was at the that. Yes,
1: fucking slam dunk. Drops <laughs> mic, leaves podcast four books ago. That wasn't about ninety thousand pages.
0: Yeah, so so she was the first portrayal. Uh, so Jora obviously was the second. So yeah. she's she's sort of bracing herself for the third, and she's always looking around her advisors, wondering who it's going to be. And the Perfume seneschal, she assumes, will be Reznak Mo Resnack, because he is a Perfume seneschal. But, um.
1: Yeah, we're not sure what a seneschal is, but he is one.
0: He's one. But, uh, <laughs> I also imagine. I think that could also apply to Varys, who she's not met yet. But he's no, always talking yeah, to be... He's definitely sort of perfumed, and yeah. I
1: imagine he's a seneschal.
0: Yeah, so, you know, maybe. Maybe that's sort of a bob and a weave there, but anyway, um, yeah. back to the back to the sort of <laughs> dawn breaks. Back to the sort of chamber for some more petitions. Hisdar's back for more with his um, with his open the fighting pits campaign. He's, he's got some supporters on board. He's got seven of the uh, seven of the sort of most famous slave fighters from the fighting pits before they closed, and this is awkward for Daenerys because. These fighters were some of the key people who helped lead the uprising, unsurprisingly, because they're obviously yeah. the most adept they, at fighting. They are the
1: they are the baddest assist, the fuckest uppest.
0: Yeah. And um and these fighters say, Look, we've been promised that half of the gate receipts will go to us. Mm. We really miss sort of the days of fighting and, you know, for glory. Please open the pit, please open the pits again. And yeah. Actually they say they're basically saying we had a better life when this well, was going we on. Yeah. yeah. So open it again.
1: Yeah, well that's an interesting little vibe, isn't it? And it's it it's um and at one point he says, you know, now you tell me I'm free but I'm not free to fight. Yeah. And um I think that is an interesting I mean, I, I mean, it's really interesting. It's sort of like, it's, the, it's the kind of thing that's the a great little summary of arguments around what constitutes liberty, you mm. know, for the, it's sort of like first couple of weeks of a, of a degree in politics or history sort of thing, you know, like, yeah. let's, let's talk about these issues in the simplest way possible. Mm. If somebody has been freed from being a slave, are they free to return to being a slave? Yeah. Um, you know, and that sort of, that wordplay, that sort of shit, which I love, but that's because I'm a nerd. Um. And I, but I do kind of love seeing it put into a story situation here, and you know, kind of going with the going with the consequences of it.
0: Yeah, you gotta you gotta admit his star is. Uh, he knows what he's doing with this. He's a bit of a genius in trying to get this through because Daenerys has now shifts from no to I'll think about it. Yeah. Um. So he's he, well, he but I think him.
1: that's that's really wise. That's what she had to do because she doesn't give a shit about this nobleman, you know, but mm. she does give a shit about the people who got her into power. Yeah. Uh, and that's. That's you know that's what you have to do.
0: Yeah, the funny thing with these fight, fighting pits is, I suppose you can you can think the the principle of you should be free to do whatever you want, and if you know two consenting adults wanting to <laughs> go at it to the death, then you know who's to say no. Yeah. But there are probably there are two when you think about it, issues with that. One, obviously, yeah, if everyone is you know wants to do it, then fine. But how do you make sure that? All these people in the pits actually do genuinely want to be there. Yeah, uh, well, uh,
1: exactly, and and that's that's a chime, actually, isn't it? With the the current the sort of debate about um, prostitution and sex work.
0: Cause yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say actually about uh, assisted dying as well. Anything? Oh, where, yeah. yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, both great examples actually. But hmm. um, yeah, and sorry, yeah, carry on. Assisted dying.
0: So, so but it's the same thing. Is it's the. Um, the principle may be sound, but it's whether the, the, a lot of the worry around both of those um, examples is how do you, you know, can you be sure that that is the person's genuine decision without any pressure from outside, um, yeah. without any economic or social pressure to, 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 to make that decision? Very, yeah. very thorny question, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, in the same way, there's... there's um strong arguments, strong feminist arguments on both sides about the, um, about the prostitution question. You know, on mm. the one sorry, sex work, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the one hand, there's the argument that it's, you know, it's something that you can choose and it's a particular power that women have that men don't. Mm. And that, you know, it's a way of making more money than you make working in Tesco. Mm. But then the other argument is, you know, and, um, you know, just to quote a character from The West Wing, you know, I know of no little girl and neither do you who grew up saying I want to be a sex worker. Hmm. Um, and you know, and so there is an element of, of um, in, in in the situation of many sex workers, of coercion. Um, yeah. So it's it, you know it's it, it is really tough. And then you know, kind of layer on top of that, a sort of insurgency of war yeah. <laughs> against an occupying power and some fairly medieval norms, right? Yeah. And it all gets a little bit intense.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I also think with the fighting pits you know it's all very well for these like seven heroic winners to say oh it was great back then and you know i'd love to do it again but uh, and 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 one of course yeah yeah (laughs) And, and, and the people who died screaming you know at least you know they'll have the names written in the history books and stuff and i always think well i wonder what the like little weedy guys who got forced into doing this would really say about that because and that's another point about how the fighting pits worked the only reason these seven champions could be champions and have you know victory after victory is because they were basically for the most part fighting a load of sort of slave cannon fodder who yeah. were sort of sent yeah. in without any chance of winning really and I don't, I don't know how you create that sy- functioning version of that system by um, having removed the coercion from it <laughs>
1: Yeah exactly I mean well it would change the sport and and, all right so here's it isn't this a fantastic little kind of story environment in which you can try out all of these little philosophical concepts from real life because we go now from assisted dying through professional sex work to the professionalization of sport (laughs) where you know when it's no longer a bunch of guys coming together and you know it's easier to be impressive when it's just You know, oh, well, it's me and my mates from the pub. So obviously, we're all out of sorts. And we all have chip butties and the rest of it. Um, You know, when it becomes, we're all pros. I wonder how keen these professional fighters would be when it turns out the only people they're going to fight against and kill from now on are people who are as good as they are. Yeah. instead of being like who are you there with the massive limp allow me to show my massive and impressive martial aptitude against you come here i have a you know like rather than that being like oh shit he's fucking king kong um yeah. can i think again can i exercise my freedom to be elsewhere
0: <laughs> yeah the f- final um sort of example to drag in here um seems we're going through quite a few it makes me think about sort of wrestling like pro wrestling like the obviously WWE stuff or the when i was little watching it like there was various versions of it and you'd have like obviously there'd be the big fights between two well known wrestlers and you didn't know which way it was going to go but on the sort of saturday morning version you'd have like one of the like big stars turn up And he'd he'd have his theme music and his costume, and everyone, all the crowd would be going mad. And he'd be fighting just some bloke in a pair of trunks who's just sort of already standing in the ring waiting to start, (laughs) and no one knew who he was. And you already (laughs) knew exactly how this fight was going to go. No chance. Yeah, it's sort of (laughs)
1: like that, only with genuine bloodshed.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's trying to convince that guy, poor guy in his trunks, who's just obviously going to get beaten around the ring. You know, um, can you do that? This time as well, but at the end, you're going to get sort of killed. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A million pounds a minute. You know, yeah. that's what it would become. Like, the, the the economics of it when people are engaging with it out of their own free will, just, you know, it needs to become far more lucrative, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: But actually, that is how... This, this is how it would become, isn't it? Um, yeah. What would happen is you would still have these little weedy guys going in to get killed, but instead of saying, we've caught you, you're a slave, you're going to die, they would say you know the, 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 maybe the economic conditions are so bad in the city that people start to think well you know i could kill myself here and my family will get fed for uh, six months you know what i mean it could yeah it, yeah. It's, it's not hard to see a situation where that is a genuine choice that someone may decide to make and it's obviously the kind of thing that isn't much better than slavery
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah and and you know uh, Personally, I find the argument that you know dire economic need is a form of coercion, I find that, I find that very compelling. Because hmm. um, it is, because it completely changes the way people think about themselves and what they're capable of and what they should do and what's right and what's wrong and everything. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> Can I, I, ju- I just want to flag again. I fucking love that we've managed, off the back of a sort of swords and sandals fantasy epic, to go from like you know the matter of human death to the matter of human life. To professional wrestling via <laughs> pr- the professionalisation of sport. Unbe- brilliant. It's Fucking a journey, ass. isn't it? That's a journey. A. Shark um, liver oil. You get more yeah. random pondering to the ounce over here.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of journeys, by the way, uh, a, yeah, and like more that.
1: segues like that. Brilliant.
0: Uh, Barristan Selmy retells his um his tale of his daring escape from King's Landing. Hmm. Um, I love this. <laughs> yeah, I quite yeah. So so he did the sort of made a run for it and managed to kill a load of guards on the way out. It's in the context of we've just been talking about the the poor little uh, like weedy slaves who were cat and fodder. I, it, it, I think it's because we just because I'd just been reading about it and thinking about that when Barrison was talking about his story, I was thinking, oh yeah, this is badass. He's getting out of there, you know. Huh. But I was also thinking when he sort of spears these two guys on the gate who tried to stop him. I felt a bit sorry for them. I was thinking, yeah, they're kind of the Westeros equivalent of the fighting Pits guys.
1: They, they totally are, aren't they? Yeah, very yeah. much. But he's all like, but a, a knight. Is is more than a match for you know six dudes or whatever, and because yeah. because he is in his late sixties and he's still pulling that shit off, you're like, yeah, fair enough, probably earned it, probably. Yeah. Earned it. <laughs> um But um, I found this whole sequence really interesting for two reasons. First of all, I feel like we needed far more scenes like this with characters that we're encountering here to explain what their backstory is. Yeah. Because again, it's been a lot of a lot of words and a lot of book. Between some of these characters featuring in front of us at all, yeah. Um, So I, so first of all, I really liked it. But secondly, this is one of the areas where I feel like having watched the TV series and got used to the way the TV series does things really hurts the book. There's been a couple of times already where it's really helped it in Mm. this in this little chunk. But that was a departure, and I think we're now back on form. Mm. With um, whenever in the TV series, whenever anybody gives you an interesting bit of backstory that humanises them. They're going to die. (laughs) That's what happens in in the Game of Thrones TV series, and I've ranted about this at length on Twitter. And I just i i i i've I've come to really resent the TV series for telling stories that way because I think it's lazy and it means that I don't engage with anybody. Um, But so, but even though knowing that the book is far kind of more delicate touch, and there's another example of that coming right after this. I was still reading this, going, oh, is he going to die?" Oh, that's rubbish. That I'm getting to like him, which means he's going to die. <laughs> uh,
0: so you think he he might not be long for this world now because of this uh, this story? I, yeah. I do think that. that. Yeah, the I thought it was quite interesting that he said he he returned to King's Landing as a beggar a few days later, just <laughs> uh, and he actually saw uh, Ned Stark beheaded i quite like the the sort of sometimes these stories weave back together yeah um
1: yeah you get a sense of how like stories and hearsay and i saw it with my own eyes can really form a world and like yeah. how this fame spreads there's actually a little bit later on in the tyrian chapter where we're talking about um somebody talks about how Viserys died and they basically mm. have it right you know he was beheaded by a horse lord he says yeah and um and i just and he's fucking thousands of miles away how do you find that out you know it's just—it's a really interesting view into the world as it was normal up until hundred years ago. Oh, less fifty, mm. sixty years ago. You know, yeah. before you know, connected communications, where you just heard things mostly by hearsay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, we we always see the quite a few examples of that so often, don't you? Like when you, especially it's whenever a character's in an, in an inn, really, because that's where the sort of the news travels, isn't it? And they'll hear rumours from pages or even books ago um, as they finally making their way around the around the world um the i thought another little interesting point as well about they have this talk about the starks and basically uh Barristan says you know oh yeah ned stark wasn't sort of as bad as some of the others yeah. and daenerys is very clear she basically sees them all the lannisters starks as the same thing they're just traitors um which just sets up some interesting uh sort of things to happen if she does ever get back to Westeros. In if that she, she does she do-
1: ever get back to Westeros. <laughs>
0: yeah. And and also um once Tyrion finds her, if he ever finds her. Yeah. She 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 isn't one for um nuance between rebels and usurpers, is she, at the moment. <laughs> anyone anyone who ended up against the Targaryens um at any point is uh is very much on the blacklist. It's
1: fucked. Isn't that interesting as well? Because we've kind of come to like both sides of the war that she's having in her head, you know, between her, who we like, and others, you know, particularly the Starks, where she's like, you know, he's a usurper. He's a he's a rebel. Mm. You know, yeah. he doesn't deserve to live. Um, whereas we're like, no, Ned Stark, he's, you'd probably get on. He's all right. If you'd have met in the pub, you'd probably, you know,
0: you might quite like him. Be friends.
1: Go on, be friends.
0: Yeah. Uh, the final thing to mention from this chapter is that Daenerys has now chained up uh, two of her dragons, Viserion and Rhaegon. Rhaegar, Rhaegon, and um, but she wanted to train to chain up Drogon as well, but he escaped. So one of the dragons is still loose, and it's this. It's this continuing development. of... That the dragons are having they've they 're going increasingly from pets to monsters that she can 't yeah. control yeah yeah, is it just me
1: or did this, was this just more satisfying as a narrative thing in the book than it is in the t v series
0: yeah, I think it is, I think it 's because you 're in her head and there 's more time for to to develop this idea of sort of pets stroke. Mother-child relationship, stroke monster. How the hell do I deal with it? Relationship. Yeah, there was more. It's definitely better. Uh, I don't know, better explored in the book than it is in, yeah. the, in the in the TV it series. Is,
1: and it, and again, it just feels a little bit less. I mean, the word I'd use is pawny in a really mm. weird way where mm. like it's a little bit I feel like the TV series feels like everybody's about to lose interest unless somebody shags somebody else or somebody kills somebody else inside the next 30 seconds mm. whereas the books totally aren't written on that basis and they're far more here's the slow burn here's what's going on inside somebody's head here's the here's the development stuff yeah um you know here's the here's the interesting character bits yeah whereas the TV series it, I, it's felt to me increasingly over the last couple of seasons like a bunch of extraordinarily talented actors struggling to make their characters felt uh, from underneath, you know, a very thick layer of who gives a shit, just fuck him, then kill him. Mm. You know?
0: it's interesting. I've, I've got to admit, I enjoy the TV series a lot more than I think you do, but...
1: Um... Well, I mean, I, I it has to be said that I enjoyed the TV series far more in the early series than I did in the last series. I feel mm. like it, series five, they... They clearly made a number of narrative decisions, which I really think didn't work. Hmm. Um, but uh, sorry, I interrupted you, carry
0: on. No, that's all right. I, was, I wonder if uh, how much, we don't really want to go too much into the TV series, but um, how much of that, how much of that, that like, you, you sort of, you going off the TV series is to do with the fact that they, the writers have moved in many ways beyond the actual text now and are trying to sort of tell the story themselves without... Uh, uh, without an obvious guide, because in in some in that's some true. instances they've moved beyond what uh, George Martin's finished writing. Though it's gone beyond Dance with Dragons. Maybe it they came encounter problems with that. Uh,
1: yeah, but I think it's a question of the 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 world you construct because they've constructed this, you know, this this universe in which what happens is if you're a sympathetic character, you're going to die, mm. um, and I, I, that's clearly because the the episode episode nine of season one um Baylor, and then was it episode was it episode nine of season two as well the red wedding mm. um three where, yeah, yeah, yeah like Four? they got the most abs- they were just so successful as audience grabbers that um you know they grew their audience massively because of those two episodes that now I feel like they're just doing it over and over again again for the ratings rather than because it makes sense for characters. Mm. And, and so reading the book is really bringing that out for me because the characters seem to be quite, they're, you know, they are doing similar things, but they're nuanced and there's reasons for it. And, you know, drama happens according to something other than this completely relentless schedule of sympathetic character plus bastard equals horrifying death, mm. you know, fade to black next mm. week. Sympathetic character plus horrifying bastard equals death fade to black like it's just that's how i feel like season five became
0: okay well we, we won't go too much more into that i, I think there are more we could both say it but we're getting a we're getting a bit sidetracked into yes, tv sorry, series yes, than, carry on.
1: We, I'm, I'm sorry to say that in the next chapter we're
0: gonna have a bit more of this but
1: I'll sure.
0: <laughs> yeah so the next chapter is about reek
1: hey or who the fuck hang on where's wikipedia let me go and read back <laughs> who is this supposed to be yeah but uh, but I'll tell you, wasn't it refreshing to actually to to be like, oh, who's this? Oh, I'm going to have a story told to me now, but it's going to be about a plot. Whereas, so this is, this is the, the last bit I'm going to talk about the TV series, I hope. <laughs> but in the TV series, they've spent an unbelievable number of minutes setting up Reek as a character in this kind of completely purposeless manner. Like, they put so many hours into the horrifying breaking of the spirit of, spoilers, you know, Theon Greyjoy Mm. Um, to no discernible purpose in the TV series whereas here, in one chapter we get to the purpose which is Ramsay Snow's going to go off and start killing people Mm. Um, whereas in the TV series it just seemed to be here's this character you may have quite disliked Uh, you know, his story arc will now be to become somebody's gimp over and over and over and over again and I'm like, I don't give a fuck if you make somebody somebody's gimp great, interesting character arc, fine. But do something with it. Don't just do it for the sheer joy of having that go- that Welsh dude with a creepy smile acting Ramsey Snow. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Aren't you being a little unfair, though, to what happened in the TV series? Because I thought the story about, in the TV series here, and we've got to be careful without trying, because it's yeah, s- yeah. straight beyond yeah. the book, sure. is about uh, breaking a character down. So, like, bringing a character which was very, you know, which was quite, confident and outgoing and completely bringing it as you know, trying to explore where rock bottom is and going beyond it and then how can that character come back can, is, is there any
1: So, uh, there is a sense in which I've really lost faith in the people making the TV series at this point. Um, yeah. Whereas, and you know, and this is why I like reading through the books with you because I think you have a, a much higher level of tolerance for sort of long, slow character arcs. Mm. Um, I will say, though, that I do detect a small amount of glee in just being able to depict. The horrific breaking of a human spirit in the in the makers of the TV series, and mm. I'm like, well, mm, I'm not certain. I want to go for out for a pint with you guys, to be honest. I'm not <laughs> certain if we if I ran across you in Northern Ireland, I would probably walk in the other direction.
0: Mm. But, yeah, but anyway, I, I I think they put they. Uh, the problem they had with that was the way you can do it in the book is you're in his head, so you see him psychologically break down, and they they tried to work out. Well, we we can't do that here. We're going to have to show it, and then it does get a bit sort of sort of horror porn, doesn't it? And um, does, the, the, that's the, the my one thing
1: as well is that horror porn is fundamentally uninteresting to me. I've given yeah. it a crack, not interesting. Um, yeah, and you actually, I think that is a very solid argument. That is a very strong argument because. Um, the whole point is that he's completely isolated. And so if you're going to have a character isolated, you can't have him talking to somebody, which is the usual way that you get somebody's internal monologue out. Hmm.
0: So you could
1: have had him make a little friend of a rat, couldn't you? Tell a rat how he was feeling. (laughs) That would have been
0: great. Yeah. The poor rats who, uh, as we begin this chapter, are being eaten in in the dungeon by Reek. Um, Just one more thing about the TV series, very, very briefly that I will agree with you with is that um, there, are, there, are, there is one bullshit moment in the Reek story in the TV. I mean, this is the bit where um, I think it might be series four and Reek's sister, uh, Theon's sister, uh, turns up to save him. There's some dogs start barking and she runs away. And it's just, I, can't, I still don't understand what they were trying to do with that scene. But, yeah, um, and moving yeah. On. well, so, yeah,
1: exactly. Like, and that's my point is that, that I've taken that as emblematic of the, the TV series makers. Mm. attitude towards the plot mm. um, and I think you're giving them more grace which I think is a desirable thing
0: <laughs> So yeah, so, so Reek's eating uh, rats in a in a dungeon, he's obviously this wretched, battered creature now uh, two boys come to fetch him, it turns out these are big, little and big Walder you remember the two Frey kids who were bullying Bran at Winterfell way back when, um, they're here now and they, they've come to get the the sort of pathetic creature that is the on stroke reek now, we hear about an attempted escape in the um in the past looks like before reek had all the sort of um all the defiance kicked out of him he did try to escape with a girl called Kyra but they were caught and it doesn't say exactly what but they said they were they were punished
1: wasn't that escaped attempt escaped attempt I can't talk wasn't that <laughs> escape attempt um one of the uh it was one of the scenes in the in the TV series where I really lost my shit with it it was at the start of I think series 4 where he yeah. was just being he'd it, been lured out basically in order to be chased by dogs yeah so that Ramsey Snow could go hunting and um and I I just like from the very first frame of that scene I was like oh for fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> but even in the book it's located properly as you know it's a significant thing that happened to him instead of just mm. being part of the ongoing dicking all over of the Greyjoy.
0: Yeah. Um we find out that Ramsay uh Snow has you know the bastard of Bolton has been legitimized now. He's um he's now Ramsay Bolton. So um he yeah. sort of stands to inherit the Bolton lands now, which is a interesting development. And uh, also it looks like he's going to marry Arya Stark, he tells Reek.
1: I question this.
0: Where, where's this come from, Dave? Yeah, well well
1: yeah, but then again, this is another time, isn't it, where we um, where you need to sort of roll back and be like Right, where in her walk around Westeros is Arya right now? Or is yeah. she already on has she already gone on the boat to Bravos?
0: I thought she hopped on the boat to Bravos at the end of Storm of Swords.
1: Right, so she's already on a boat, which means <clears throat> This is a f- fake-out, right?
0: I you would assume so, yeah.
1: Fuck oh this is complicated. <laughs> <Hell> <laughs> the hell.
0: It's because of the... Um, part of the complications of these plots at the moment is just because the timelines are so oh, strange, geez. aren't they? Hey, so. we should
1: give a shout-out, by the way, shouldn't we, to um, to a, a Twitter unit user of Complete Genius. Mm, yeah. At, I was, at Dreamnold. I-
0: yeah, I was going to say this with the feedback section, but we did speak to a. Um, we did get a, <laughs> have a bit of a Twitter conversation with someone who, as you say, has basically placed the uh, the Dance with Dragons and Feast for Crows chapters in order. So if you have like if you have it on Glorious. Kindle, you can just flick between them um, and actually read it in order, which seems to make a lot of sense. Although. Uh, they've actually taken it from a uh, a web page, which I'll I'll post a link out to on Twitter. Yeah, uh, and it's interesting that it's not as easy as you think to put them in order because you got to think about. Obviously, it's not absolutely clear exactly what happens after what. Although you can, yeah. you can sort of make your best guesses. But then yeah. you've also got to think about whether you're going to spoil big dramatic moments by. Placing some some things before others, yeah. It's quite it's quite interesting just to see how I'll I'll post this website. If you actually look at where someone's tried to put all the chapters in order, the difficulties you run into about how best to tell the story, uh, which mm. I'm sure is is some of the stuff that George Martin had to grapple with as well, yeah, um, yeah. as well as his publishers just saying, George, we've got to get a book out. <laughs> this is getting George, ridiculous. Fucking publish, <laughs> would you
1: please? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and so you know, I do kind of feel his pain. He set himself an enormous task, and you know, he hasn't executed it to perfection. But then, who could? Hmm. Um, but uh, but at the same time, I I don't know. I feel like the timeline complexity of reading these two books in the published order, you know, it's not difficult to make it more easy to understand. Hmm. (laughs) You know, even with with an imperfect order, I don't really mind being spoiled. I've already been spoiled. Fucking Sam spoiled, what, three different directions in time? (laughs) Sam the Time Lord. The Time Lord, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Okay, so that's Reek, basically, and Stroke Theon. Uh, That's what's going on with them there. Now, not a lot's happened in terms of action for a while, so it's time for a kick-ass action scene with... And we don't normally say these two things together with Bran. Hey,
1: um, now, fucking brilliant!
0: <laughs> this chapter starts, and you immediately know that something's going down here. There are this sort of the kids are afraid. Um, they they see in this that um, they're almost at the destination, this place they've been trying to get to for ages, uh, yeah. and to see the three-eyed crow. And it's basically this cave underneath a weirwood tree, and it's only sort of a a hundred yards or so away, and it looks easy. And it's just sort of this snowy hill that they've got to climb, but there are things lurking around, and you can you already know before they start that it's not going to be a simple sort of walk up a hill. This
1: absolutely, I right. The staging of this was interesting because it's in the TV series as well. Yeah. Um, but in the TV series, it's more like it's kind of this suspiciously flat open area right mm. in front of the cave they're trying to get to. Whereas this is basically running up a hill. Mm. And, and you know, these, well, you know, the the, the thing that happens, happens. Yeah, these, yeah. Uh, I quite, is, sorry, carry on, yeah.
0: I quite like how it builds. Part of the tension, part of the thing that made me sort of, drew me in and made me really sort of frightened here was mm. the fact that Coldhands says, you know, they're here. Um, but then, very shortly after, he sort of, he's looking around cold hands and he sort of says to himself, where are they? And it's just this idea that cold hands has been this, like almost we've said before, like dark version of Aragorn or someone like that, where they always seem to they quite they're scary. You don't know the motives, but they're always in control and because they, they're almost yeah. supernatural, they always know what's going on. And the fact yeah. that he's unsure here makes yeah. you think, Oh, this is, yeah, there's something yeah. very wrong here.
1: Yeah. And, and, now, where they burst out from on the ground hmm. l- leads me to the idea that it's quite a steep slope. So were yeah. they down there sort of hanging on? Like, did they see him coming and then they're like, Qu- quick, 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 hide under the snow. Go on, get,
0: grab onto a roof.
1: <laughs> get ready to jump out. Go on. Like sort of like the most kind of macabre version of, you know, kids hiding to surprise somebody who's visiting their house or something. You know yeah. What I mean? Go yeah. on, go on, go on. Okay. One, two, three.
0: Go! <laughs> 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 yeah, no. Before before we get into the ambush, we just have a little memory here that Bran has, um, and our old trusted friend, who clopped along with us for many a mile, got old Mister Elk. <laughs> they, they 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 killed and ate him. And <laughs> Sorry, and and it's, it's it says laugh. it says here, Bran cried like a child and I thought I felt like crying as well poor Mr. Elk elk.
1: that elk I'll tell you what though there's one thing for the elk lasted a lot longer than one of Tolkien's fucking ponies eh? (laughs) ponies in the Hobbit as we discovered are not long for this world whenever they appear on the page whereas this elk has got staying power
0: yeah and the thing is at least you know the the thing about the ponies was they weren't long for this world and they weren't even mourned at least someone (laughs) was just like
1: killed them ate them
0: loved it Moving on, yeah, yeah. So yeah, as you say, they they start making the way up this hill, and they are ambushed by these whites that are underneath the snow and keep popping up from under the snow. Um, one of them grabs Hodor, and uh, one tries to get Bran, and Summer actually ends up coming between them and, and saving Bran. At, uh, th- this this moment where Summer rips out the throat of this this white, this zombie, and it's just sort of this explosion of rotted meat. That was wonderfully disgusting, wasn't it?
1: Oh, it was awful. But a great description of these things, which, um, and I think he's executing this to perfection, actually, over the whole series. You know, it goes from being, what the fuck? You know, in the very first scene, it's like, what the fuck? And it's designed to freak you out. Um, Whereas in this scene, it's now describing their physical characteristics far more. Yeah, Um, and it's tell you what it reminded me of is that classic. um, You ever seen that? Like it's a '50s film. It's Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, um, which has is very famous for being the first example of sort of proper stop motion animation on film. Yeah, and there's this like army of army of skeletons which are clearly claymation but are also terrifying because they're not moving in a way that's you know canny. It it feels weird. Yeah, Um, and I just imagined that in this scene, and it was like, "Ah! (laughs) I don't like it.
0: Yeah, it's weird because that's how the TV show did it. It was these, like, creepy skeleton, Jason the Argonaut-style monsters. Yeah. Whereas they're described in the book as pretty much just like we've seen whites before. They're just sort of corpses, walking corpses. Yeah, uh, not but necessarily... with
1: more sort of depth. Yeah. Like you say, with the ripping out of his throat and the description of that, it's no longer this eldritch creature from the beyond. It's this eldritch creature from the beyond that still has a jugular. Yeah. You know? And it's just that much more visceral, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh <laughs> it's getting it's getting, getting close, getting dangerous. It looks like it could be all over. Uh, Cold Hands is sort of trapped, uh, trying to fight his way out of a, a big group of them. Um, Hodor's obviously in a lot of trouble. Bran looks like he's about to get killed until he wargs into Hodor and turns into an absolute tank.
1: <laughs> now, this is a difficult one, isn't it? That's... um. <laughs> You know, because on the one hand, probably an ethical, not even a grey area, not even a grey area, clearly (laughs) wrong to possess another human being's body and go around killing things with it. Clearly, (laughs) clearly not the right thing to do. On the other hand, this is like a first-person shooter in a world that doesn't even have video games.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, because in the right hands, Hodor's um, strength... Is um, is really quite terrifying because the thing is Hodo is such a sort of a sweet, simple-minded chap who wouldn't hurt a fly, but he's got the body of a you know basically the mountain, yeah. and and this is basically showing what physically he can do under certain under the right circumstances. Um, yeah, but as you say, in terms of um, you know. In terms of morality, maybe not the best thing to do, but needs must for Bran. So he Absolutely. he starts setting about, and um, I thought it's interesting how he's in Hodor's mind, in Hodor's body, sort of regulating, if you like, and yeah. he sees Summer is sort of uh, almost like growling at this white that's on fire, moving towards him, and he, for a moment he can't work out why Summer's not just running away, yeah. and it's because Bran's body's there, that like Bran's still yeah. there, and yeah. Summer's trying to defend his body. So, and Bran has this sudden thought: like, I wonder what would happen if I actually died now? Would I stay in Hodor, Would I end up in Summer? Would I just be dead? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, we've sort seen of, this,
1: haven't we? In the in the in the prologue, and actually, this exactly. whole this whole like warg sequence, I flipping loved because that's a thing which has been brought out more and more, and is you know, it's giving us more and more insight into the lives and the internal lives of. John and of Bran um, and we've had Arya before as well right um, uh, kind of you know walking in and out of the, her wolf but yeah. it's becoming a part of how the plot is communicated and as ever I am a fan of more angles on this plot
0: yeah yeah definitely they um, they are saved in the end one of the uh, children of the forest comes running out of this little cave and um, it's sort of all those little people who almost look like children, but are hundreds of years old and uh, leads them into the cave to safety. Um, All of them, apart from cold hands who can't cross the, uh, the divide because there's these, these charms around the entrance to the cave, which means the whites can't come in either. But um, when Bran sort of wakes up and asks about cold hands, um, he says, you know, is he dead? And the sort of this child of the forest says, you know, he, he, no, no, but he you know he's already dead. he died long ago, and yeah. it seems like this is the end for cold hands that's it yeah um
1: and and it it's, it seems clear that unless unless it's a sort of Batman thing where somebody else takes up the cape, uh like in the comic books that he isn't <laughs> like Highlander <Stark>. yeah, exactly <laughs> Highlander, unless it's a Highlander thing, he's definitely not Benjamin Stark because he's mm. been around for far longer than Benjamin Stark's been missing, which is kind of sad, you know because um, I would have liked mm. that as a callback, but can you do?
0: Yeah, if this is it for Cold Hands, is that sort of a satisfying arc for that character? But it's um, not only just a character, isn't he? really? He's only marginally a yeah. fully formed... We don't really a, know well, much about I, him. I,
1: I did find him a bit more interesting. Um, hmm. You know, when he was uncertain at the start of this scene, I was like, oh, interesting. Hmm. You know, he's, his role isn't just to be a sort of deus ex machina, but yeah. um, you know, <laughs> at the same time, um, like, we haven't, you know, his role has been to get Bran to where he needs to be, right? Yeah, um, and that's his only role. So I would like to see more of him because I do think it's an interesting little wrinkle. But if we, I wouldn't be surprised if we never do.
0: Yeah. So they uh, they are taken deeper into the sort of this underground uh, area uh, where the children of the forest live, uh, yeah. and um, they eventually come to this big underground bridge near a lot of bones and they turn round to see who the three-eyed raven is and yeah. it's this sort of it's this old sort of ancient member of the night's watch who is sort of turn, almost turned into a tree he's got sort of roots growing from his eye and his his thigh and his skull and he's sort of half man half tree now. yeah well, he's do you de- this?
1: almost like half half tree half white yeah, you know, because you know, he's, he says you can see bits of his skull through his skin, and you know, he's kind of, you know, he is in the same state as these whites. Yeah, but he's not trying to kill people, uh, as far as we can tell at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks like a fate worse than death, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, imagine being kept alive because you've become part of a tree. Yeah, no, uh, with very little to look at as well, you'd have to say.
0: Yeah. What did you make of the difference between how he's described and how he came, how he looked in the series? Because I remember when he turned up in the series, there was a podcast I listened to um, called uh, the uh, a Game of Thrones podcast, Bald Move. Yeah. And they were furious about how he was portrayed. They were like, <laughs> we were expecting this thing with roots growing out of his face and his thigh and like half tree, man and what we ended up with was i think they describe him as he's basically like the old dude from the end of indiana jones and the last crusade <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is both funny and true although i wouldn't if i hadn't have read this first obviously those guys have read the book first i wouldn't i wasn't really disappointed by that because it's the old man from the end of flipping indiana jones you know shows poorly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking brilliant but you're right. If you were expecting a half man, half tree situation, that would be disappointing.
0: Yeah. Uh, we uh, speaking of disappointments, Bran says, "Oh, we've come all this way. You know, are you going to make me walk again?" And uh, and the the tree man basically says, "No, I can't do that." And Bran's like, "Damn it! <laughs> we've come all this way." <laughs> um, but, but but we end with this. It's,
1: it's- it's the moment, isn't it, where the kid finds out Santa isn't real while sitting on Santa's lap. Like, well, fuck you then, you old man. Get a, get a fucking haircut.
0: <laughs> I think it's finding out Father Christmas isn't real after walking to Lapland to the, to the <laughs> North Pole to find him. I'm going to get um, there
1: and I'm going to get that Xbox. I am. Come on. Come on. What do you mean you've run out? <laughs> you bastard.
0: <laughs> but he does give the, the uh, he does give Bran this weird promise where he says you, know, you you'll never walk again, but you will fly. So uh. we will find out what that means. Hopefully, when yeah, we return to Bran eventually, the next book. probably not until <laughs> twenty fifty or whatever. Whenever twenty fifty when published. the last
1: free book comes out. Hey, by <laughs> the way, sorry. Speak, speaking of um, speaking of uh, the books and the length thereof, hmm. um, I went and counted the number of POV characters there are on this book. Hit me, thirty-one. Really? I was right. Go and look in the in the in the in the thing because there's like towards wow. the end of the book he brings in all these other characters and there's like six one-offs in a row. You know when he calls them something like you know the, the muttering man and the
0: thirty-one characters. <laughs> Bastard! <laughs> Honestly, I'm just loving six one-offs in a row because because you said last time maybe just maybe just loses all self-control and just goes. From, <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Thirty-one
1: oh, though, thirty bastard. One of them I have to pay attention to and work out who they're actually supposed to be in the grand scheme of the story. I actually care <laughs> about by oblique half references in like in descriptive sentences. Ah, oh, uh, George, oh, you're a difficult man to love. I'll tell you.
0: That that should make for an interesting final podcast. Then get ready, oh, bu- buckle up for that.
1: Deary me, uh, my word!
0: <laughs> right, we've, we've actually still got two more chapters to do. Um, this I is a massive. Thought. It was only the same number of pages as the uh, as the one we did last no, time. It seems like no, a we big were, I
1: went on a big um, a big detour through reasons I'm pissed at the TV series.
0: <laughs> uh, the next chapter is about Tyrium. Tyrion is uh, going enforced cold turkey at the moment because he, Griff, basically, the first night on this boat, he got roaring drunk and then massively hungover. Griff took one look at him and said, right, you're done in terms of drinking. So Tyrion's (laughs) trying (laughs) to... And I love that he's managed to enforce it as well. He's just,
1: no, you, you, son, are finished. And this previously, you know, kind of uh, incorrigible alcoholic is just like... All right, then.
0: <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you physically can't get hold of it, you, know, you, 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 you can't have it. Um, yeah. So he's, he's stuck on top of the roof of the boat where he likes to sleep now. He's watching the sun come up. Uh, another perk of watching sunrise on this boat is that you get to watch the uh, sexy scepter's morning swim. Um, this is a strange yeah. relationship between these two, isn't it?
1: Yeah, bloody hell. Well, he's he, so he fancies a nun, not unheard of. <laughs> The nun seems to fancy him back, perhaps. <laughs> uh, so it's very—it's a very weird sort of relationship, isn't it? Where mm. you know,
0: yeah. The scepter says, "You know, you should be—you should be—we uh, should celebrate our bodies and all this." And she says, "You know, God made us in His own image, basically." And Tyrion's rather bitter reply to that is, "It must have been drunk by the time he came to me." Then line. It's "A good it's line, a good,
1: like, even if it is." <laughs>
0: Darkly bitter. He's also a very. Funny line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's it's really well put from Tyrion as well. That point of it's all very well and good looking the way you do to say that, you know. But what about me? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the general impression from this whole chapter really is that sort of life on this boat seems pretty good. It's like a just a, a fun adventure down the river isn't it there's sword practice there's dunking each other in water yeah. there's a, a bit of banter around the factorian still being called yolo <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, every time i read that as well i just i just imagine them instead of calling him yolo just being like yolo like, can i get you some wine you only live once
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the we, we we get involved in some of young griff's lessons uh, this 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 child who this teenager who i don't think we had a name for before is 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 now, he's now young, young griff He's basically griff's son um and he's been trained up in the history of volantis when we're uh when we join him for his lessons uh what do you make of volantis so it's this place where it's ruled by three rulers which are either known as elephants or tigers uh the elephants are the people who favor trade the tigers, the people who favor war, and the tigers were in in control for around about a hundred years and um basically nearly ruined the place and ever since the sort of elephants have been just about in control, sort of in a two two to one yeah. overall yeah.
1: yeah i i I mean so you know if you're an elephant, you are winning, but you do have a silly name, which would you <laughs> rather be, given the choice between being a lion and an elephant a tiger <laughs> and an elephant you'd want to be a tiger wouldn't you really <laughs> tigers no shits given <laughs> elephants very cool to look at but not so much with a sort of dynamism yeah um but you know slow and steady wins the uh, political ascendancy i suppose
0: yeah we we also have um it lo- it looks like Tyrion and the Halfmeister Halden have been playing a lot of uh, it's chivas or sivas which i think is the is the, basically the sort of George Martin world version of chess and Tyrion keeps getting beaten by this halfmeister but it turns out he's a he's a total shark because um they end up making a bet and then Tyrion kicks his ass because he's obviously a lot yeah. better than he's been coming across yeah yeah and um, they float past this ruined city um including uh Nymeria's palace which is I thought it was quite interesting just because it's the same name as uh Obviously, is Arya's Direwolf, um, and yeah. e- even yeah. Tyrion is is shocked at just how big this river is when it finally opens up. Um, I've found it quite interesting that one of the people who actually owned the boats, this this old couple, they say that at the river's widest, you can sail out like to the middle and you can't see the other side. Still, yes, yeah, Which is interesting. yeah. sounds yeah, like a and, lake.
1: I, I, I tell you what, actually, I, I thought of. Um, actually th- this is a, this is a little bit of uh, shark liver oil backstory isn't it um mm. uh being on um being on a river boat in uh, in Bangladesh of all places
0: oh yeah um, yeah i remember that
1: thinking about so the the jamuna river which is just the most astonishing i one of the most astonishing places i've ever been in my entire life because it is literally a river that you're on and you can't see you can be in the middle of it and not see either bank mm. but it's a river yeah. and i so i remember just we were there um at the same time and just sort of look i just yeah, honestly, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And so I really, I drew on that, populating this, and I was like, woo. And, and I very much understood kind of like where he's coming from, because I've seen other big rivers, right? Um, but I, So I completely understood Tyrion being like, yeah, well, we've got big rivers, eh? Big rivers where mm-hmm. I come from. And then you go to this thing that's, you know, basically a, a sea in linear motion, and you're like, bloody hell, that's actually... <laughs> You know, that's that's part of my experience. Yeah. Um in uh in you know, in sort of seeing the um seeing the Jamuna as compared to, say, the Thames. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a different completely different kettle of fish.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it is and it's good because earlier on, yeah, you're right, Tyrion is so convinced that, you know, all the rumours about this size of this river has been exaggerated. But um yeah. obviously and it's then wrong. they're
1: all like, just wait, just wait.
0: <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the this chapter ends with uh, one of the massive sea turtles swimming up to the boat and sort of roaring at them, and they see this as a really sign of good luck. It's such a strange chapter, this, because it's so optimistic and bright in a world. It's
1: nice, is, isn't it? Yeah, do you, you not enjoy being in this environment just for a bit in this kind of crushingly relentless negative worldview, and then you like, and then they had a holiday on a boat.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it really feels like that, doesn't it? It yeah. was nice, yeah. It felt odd. It kind of felt a little worrying as well. Like it's been we've been set up for some Absolutely. Sort of,
1: it's like it's like um it's like Sir Barristan doing yeah. his um doing his backstory stuff. You're like, Oh, you're not long for this world, eh?
0: Yeah. Uh the final chapter for today is about Sir Davos. It's uh speaking of ominous um sort of uh approaches. Davos has arrived in White Harbour, where in Feast for Crows, he ends up with a head on a spike. Um, it's not the arrival he was hoping for. He was expecting to sort of turn up amongst Salado San's massive fleet in this massive sort of pomp and ceremony of a big ambassador's arrival. He's ended up yeah. being smuggled in as a pauper because he's lost his fleet and yeah. uh, not a yeah. good start. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, as he arrives in White Harbor, we get a bit of an introduction to the city. I, I really like White one. Of my, it's one of my favourite locations, actually. Um, yeah. You can see that all these new defences being put up, obviously in in preparation for the for the War of the Five Kings, which never really touched White Harbor in the end because Rob died too early. Um, there's sort of a Uh, a sort of walled off part of the harbour as well where you can see a couple of masts whereas obviously (laughs) Wyman Mandel is building up his fleet which he was talking about ages ago yeah
1: yeah 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 totally I agree with you actually about about White Harbour as an environment there was something about sort of the sight of this bloke who's kind of you know Davos has, has rocketed off into being a king's hand in this really weird king's hand situation where the king isn't really the king he's almost sort of the puppet of this insane Religious fanatic, mm. um, and you get a lot of his introspection about how uncertain he is about his role. But mm. then you drop him back in an old smuggling port, and he's wandering around like thinking, "Yep, yeah, I know that. I know that brothel over there. And yeah. I know that pub over there is great for a little for a, a little sandwich. And this one, shit, <laughs> nobody bothers you. I'm going in here. And like, yeah. I just kind of love seeing him in in his element because you know he must be a badass in this way because yeah. otherwise he wouldn't still be alive. But you know, you just don't often get a chance to see it.
0: Yeah, no, that's really true And he's, he's looking around as well in his sort of ambassador role And he sees that there, there aren't any Stark banners flying anymore Which is obviously not a good sign But at the same mm. time, there aren't any Bolton or uh, or Lannister banners either So yeah. it looks like he's he's still very much not decided either way yet, the, uh, Um So yeah, like you say, he, he has a little wander around the city Decides he's going to try and find out as much as he can he, he sees that the uh, the old mint, like the the massive old bank in the middle of uh, in the middle of White Harbour, is full of refugees. Yeah, um, he's ba- is basically taking in uh, taking in people who are fleeing the sort of the countryside, and yeah. also he's raising men as well. He's he's he's, he's getting the able bodied men to to join the army. Yeah. Um, yeah, I quite liked. I think one of the reasons I like White Harbour, and one of the reasons that I'm, I'm trying to give Mandalay... A bit of, uh you know, uh, trying to give him the benefit of the doubt at the moment is that he does seem quite humane. He's sort of, he's taking yeah. in refugees, and you know, yeah. he, he's sort of he's building up an army. But stayed, it seemed like he was going to be loyal, and I don't know. It, it feels like I always felt like White Harbor and the Mandalays are the, the sort of more humane element of Westeros. But but we'll see yeah. if that holds up. Yeah, yeah. But well, that's the first impression. Uh, yeah, he goes to this rough pub called the Lazy Eel. It, I think it's it's basically a White Harbour's version of the Stinking Goose in uh, in Maidenpool. <laughs> it <laughs> so was a lovely uh,
1: place, wasn't it? We've all got fond memories of the Stinking Goose, haven't we? Haven't we? No.
0: <laughs> yeah. the The most um, the most challenging marketing assignment of all time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now we're not we're not going to change the name. Yeah, we've we've already got the brand set. We've got the name, so you just need to work with it, all right, all right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do what we can. Yeah, what's it called? Oh, stinking goose. <laughs> I quit. That's how the conversation would go.
0: Yeah. So Davos sits at the back of this inn, listens to the sort of tales that are being told around him. Stuff like stinky Tywin, uh, the, the body of Tywin. <laughs> stinky
1: Tywin. That, <laughs> is that what we're calling it now?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the story of. Tywin's body smelling so bad that no one could go into the Sept, into the into the Great Sept. There's the yeah. death of Liza killed by. It turns out the uh, the, the the musician who got, ended up getting it pinned on him. The, yeah. the to- talk of the Ironborn, uh, talk of the Hound going rogue. Yeah, and I like how uh, <clears throat> Daenerys' trials and tribulations is uh, is dismissed as just a one line about a slave revolt somewhere in the east. Um, yeah, they haven't good. got
1: a fucking clue what's coming, have they?
0: <laughs> no, uh, I, I quite like as well. It still mirrors today this how details on news stories. Um, you, obviously you get forensic detail on stuff that's happening very close to home, and the further away you get, they become more just like headlines. If if in sort of a general yeah. news service, you've got yeah. to really seek those stories out if you want to find more. Yeah, um, and yeah, that yeah. that's still very true today. Yeah. Um, there's there's rumours of Robert Glover, one of the old lords of the North, is trying to raise men um I think still yeah. in terms of sort of a bit of resistance, but uh, yeah. he's not meeting with much success here
1: good old Glover though a hey, good old glover he'll he'll stay on the task when everybody else has walked away
0: yeah off! <laughs> the uh the the bastard of Bolton is uh, off to Moat Kalin it turns out he's gonna try and because Moat Kaen, if you remember, is this uh this castle that protects the north from the south, it sort of looks over this causeway, and it's very hard to take from the south, but uh, a little bit easier from the north. So it looks like once they take that, they can bring their old army with Roose Bolton back up to the north and start ruling. Yeah. yeah. Turns out the Serwins and the Hornwoods um, have sent men to help there. They basically... You, you, you feel, really feel here from these rumours that the direction of travel is towards the Boltons now. Most yeah. of the Northern Lords, whether they like it or not, are beginning to accept that the, the Boltons are the new sort of rulers now here.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Which doesn't bode well for Davos's mission. Yeah. The worst thing you see for Davos here, the things he's hearing, isn't that Stannis isn't, you know, getting a lot of support. It's that he's not even being mentioned. It's like he doesn't exist. Yeah. It's like he's, a, he's an irrelevance.
1: Yeah. yeah. Does that make you nervous?
0: It does for me. Yeah, because I think the only thing w- this when you're trying to drum up support, he's slightly also you know, the only thing worse than having bad things talked about you is not being talked about at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, true.
0: He's he's considered almost just yeah an irrelevance here, and yeah. that's that's a big thing for Davos to try and overcome, especially considering when he's rolled up sort of smuggled in like a little pauper
1: yeah 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 exactly yeah i mean it's you mind you though if you needed somebody to go into a hopeless situation and turn it around yeah you probably would choose davos wouldn't you
0: yeah it just makes me think you know uh how much more successful he could be here if he does turn up this massive grand fleet sort of look what you've been missing you know look what you forgot about here we are but now it's sort of like it almost the way he arrives almost reinforces this idea that you know stannis isn't really to be taken too seriously yeah
1: Um, Uh, well and you can kind of understand that if nobody thinks the white walkers are real then having beaten the wild wings wildlings in a in a thing yeah um in in a fight north of the wall is like, eh meh, whatever, you've forgotten. You're supposed to be trying to get the throne in King's Landing. You know, it must even seem like a crazy thing to have done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um he here's another rumour about this touches on Daenerys, about this captain of the slow eyed maid, who um it turns out refused passage to the, to Daenerys tried to get him to take her back to Westeros with her army ages and ages ago when they were still looking to do that. And he turned them down and said, you know, I don't want dragon." Do you remember, I do vaguely remember this, where the ship captain said, I don't want dragons on my ship. It's the worst idea in the world because, you know, it's a wooden ship. And uh, that it's much safer to keep trading in spices. Yeah, yeah. And um, there, this sort of, this tale is told with a lot of laughter saying, you know, the, the clever captain not being sort of uh, letting his heart rule his head. But Davos keeps quiet because it turns out the slow-eyed maid is the spice ship that ended up be- foundering on the sisters. So that's how that ties together. Jo- yeah. When they were eating the spiced clam chowder, yeah, um, that like, is oh, why.
1: Oh, okay, that was that was actually because of some horrifying loss of life. Yeah, Westeros. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, uh, Davos. The 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 thing that makes Davos realize, you know, I may well have no chance here, is um obviously stannis is already a bit of an irrelevance in terms of the discussions here there's a lot of talk about general direction of travel more pressure being put on lords to declare for um for Roose bolton and for uh for the crown mm. and the worst part of it is that there's a there's a lannister ship in port and the phrase have already started to sort of approach manderley yeah. And it's not only the fact they've brought back the sort of the remains of Sir Wendell, who died at um, who died at the Red Wedding. There's also an, the eldest son of Wyman's is um, is a captive, is a prisoner, yeah, uh, of the Lannisters. And Davos thinks, you know, what he would do to protect his remaining sons, and that this is going to make it very hard to convince Wyman Manderly not to. Sort of throw in the sort of throw in his lot with the Boltons now, even though they the sort of it's a really interesting, sort of political situation here. Wondering which way Mandel is going to go because, on the one hand, you've got strong arguments the fact that traditionally they don't get on with the Boltons, the next door neighbours, and you know, they couldn't be more different, could they? The Boltons are almost the, the absolute other side of the coin of the Mandalays in terms of yeah. sort of uh, yeah. humanity, if you like, yeah, yeah. and and. Also, the red wedding—you know—one of Wyman's sons was killed at it, and it's the ultimate yeah. betrayal. But yeah. on the other hand, another one of his sons is a captive, and just he's—he doesn't come across as he does. He's a pragmatist, Mandalay. Yeah, and it just seems it's a lost cause. Anything else other than saying, "Right, we'll join up now." It's just getting the best terms you can.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of. But everybody seems to be deciding that about the Boltons. But I—I I feel like that's adding up to hopefully a spectacular betrayal in a future battle scene where everybody who's supposed to be fighting for Bolton just goes, hang on, do we outnumber him? (laughs) Are we on a... Yeah, I'll tell you what, on three, fuck him.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So Davos goes wandering through the streets now, trying to decide what to do next. He remembers when he was at Eastwatch by the sea that one of the... uh, Sir Axel Florent, the sort of king's... the top queen's man... Who's always hated him told this story about how this uh it was some some lord um dressed up a monkey and pretended it was his son. Yeah. And, you know, you can't, it doesn't matter how many fine clothes you put on a monkey, it's still a monkey, basically. And it's a yeah. very, very thinnest of thinly veiled digs at Davos, because he's low-born.
1: Which digs is directly yeah. insulting. And it's a great example of, you know, how snobbery is as stupid as, probably in this completely meaningless story universe, snobbery is still the stupidest thing you can do.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and we've through the chapter here we've had Davos' memories of what it was like in you know, back in his smuggling days, and his thoughts of, you know, one day I'd like to go and visit some of these far flung areas with my sons. Maybe when this is all over, I might be able to do it. But you feel he doesn't really believe it anymore. Yeah. And he is pretty convinced that it's a lost cause trying to get Mandalley on board now. But he decides to go up to the sort of present himself at the castle anyway and at least try and i don't know what you felt here but this whole tone of this chapter felt like davos's swan song here especially sort of, <laughs> of knowing what you read in feast for crow he's like oh yeah. no uh,
1: it's sad that isn't it but totally i mean it ends up with him knocking on a door which is not usually the most dramatic end point but so i mean clearly this is one of the ones that was written when he knew he was splitting the books in half and he's like right foreshadowing here we go
0: yeah yeah, and that's the that's the rather worrying and slightly downbeat, downbeat end to yeah to this week. Yeah, uh, we're we're running pretty over, so we we won't stick around too long at, at the end of this. But we do have some feedback to get through, uh, as ever. Brilliant. Sh- shark live royal Podcast at Gmail dot com. If you want to share your thoughts on um on the book uh, or on the podcast, also you can get us on Twitter at Shark live Royal. We'll start with the emails. um a uh, illustration which he did of uh, of John Snow and Melisandre. We have been given permission to tweet this now, so so that will be going out um, over the next couple. Oh, of... cracking! Uh, Max has also said about this. Uh, there's something about episode our last episode. He says when he read a Feast for Crows, he assumed that the Pate prologue stroke epilogue situation was that Pate had been killed and Replaced by a faceless man for reasons to do with uh Maester College access, yeah. So that the so the Pate oh, that Sam meets was uh oh. this new imposter, it wasn't really Pate. Um, what do you think of that?
1: Uh, I, now that makes a lot more sense, is a much well, better something that
0: backs Max up as well is that act 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 we, act we've, act we've mentioned this, uh this putting the whole tale in chronological order these two books and the website that does that places the prologue at the start not at the end you know basically so if you if you tell it in mm. so maybe that oh, maybe that is yeah, maybe there's yeah, something to yeah, that, that maybe maybe the sort of death of pate did happen before sam arrived in old town not after and it's not some weird sort of flip reversal of the uh of the plot yeah we'll see
1: yeah well it that definitely makes more sense and i don't think george is an idiot so that that, I, that must be what it is because i, I what frustrated mm-hmm. me about that was that it was pointlessly baffling as much as anything else
0: yeah we we don't we don't know for sure either way but that's a that certainly is a that's something that is would would explain things wouldn't it a, a lot better and, and would seem a lot neater so uh ch- cheers for that max and um, we'll yeah. see where that goes yeah. uh thanks as ever a couple of things from twitter we've obviously mentioned the first one um being this uh i think it's boiledleather.com is where you can find it and this is the uh the plan uh, the sort of chapter plan if you want to read yeah dance with dragons and feast for crows actually in chronological order but as i said before it's uh it's got some issues with exactly where to place chapters to tell the story in the best way, if you like. Um, We've also got involved with, uh, if you, uh, there's another podcast called uh, Davos' Fingers, which is uh, a really good uh, uh, podcast, which is also looking at the books. And yeah. they started this week, a because we're coming up to Christmas, hashtag Westeros Christmas movies. <laughs> and uh Short Live Royal, obviously, we like to get involved with these kind of things and we came up with a couple of our own. If you yeah. can if you can better them, then do send them in to us, uh royal podcast at gmail.com or do it on Twitter. Um also if you, if you search for hashtag West Ross Christmas movies you'll find everyone's suggestions. Uh, one of one of the ones Davos's fingers came up with was um Hard Home Alone. A which I quite like uh, we we thought maybe hard home alone 2 lost in yukis which is uh, <laughs> <you> guess, <laughs> which i just imagine like a white walker like on the beach like you know he's a fish out of water <laughs> <laughs> in in speedos just looking <laughs> left and right <laughs> what is this fine yellow snow which courses through my fingers
1: and why does it hurt me so much
0: Uh, I've also um, the the only other one I could think of was Miracle on 34th Street sort of a a gritty retelling in King's King's Landing, Miracle on Gin Alley (laughs) it could could star that fucking legend oh dearie me (laughs) I was a fucking legend of Gin Alley I was a fucking (laughs) legend yeah uh but yeah any other suggestions for uh for Westeros Christmas movies do send them in mm. uh also we uh, <laughs> we had this there was this uh conversation about what you're look most looking forward to about Winds of Winter when it comes out it's a little premature for us because we haven't got through obviously Dance with Dragons yet but um but we did suggest you know maybe checking again mm. with the landmen of the Lazarene. Because they might be our favourite, our favourite kicked around nation, stroke people.
1: Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're kicked around, but I tell you what, they've got the branding piece nailed, haven't they?
0: (laughs) The lamb. Sorry.
1: Sorry, I'm gonna stop doing it. I am gonna stop. Well,
0: (laughs) Iron Throne responded to us with a a suggestion of. a recipe: dragon roasted lamb people oh. with, capons and, with capons and onions, and hard cheese, and stale bread, and honey roasted mice. And Zing. just, just ima- but just imagine if that was an advert. There's only one. There's only one person to sort of get to voice that over. It'd be yeah. Khaleesi. <laughs> dragon roasted lamb people with capons and onions and hard cheese, and stale bread, and honey-roasted mice. Delicious. Oh, that's yeah.
1: fantastic. That's fucking... That's, this is not just any <laughs> dragon-roasted
0: lamb. And i tell you what, if you want someone to prepare that kind of feast, the dragon-roasted lamb people, you could do a lot worse than the Butcher King of Astapor. He hey! would put on a wonderful spread. <laughs> he you would, gotta say. he
1: would. But just don't <laughs> give him any honest feedback about how good the meat is, right? Always compliment him. Yeah, for the love it's of God. always good.
0: <laughs> um, if you want to um, get involved in any of the uh Twitter discussion about uh about Dance with Dragons, Song of Ice Fire, all that stuff, you can find us on Twitter at Shark Live Royal, and as I say, uh Shark Live Royal podcast at gmail.com if you've any thoughts to add on the uh on the book so far. I know what you wanna know now, you wanna know where we're reading to for next week. Well don't worry, I got you back. I gotta find the page like, but hold on. So for next week, if you're reading along with us, read from obviously this next chapter, which is uh, the uh, the dancers shimmered. It's a Daenerys chapter that begins with the dancers shimmered. I'm reading as far as in my book page two oh three, which is a Tyrion chapter, mm-hmm. which begins. He dreamed of his lord father. So uh, that's as far as we're going for next week. Hope you've enjoyed this week's, and uh, enjoy the next part of the book. And we will see you next week. We will. Kalisi.